to this episode of Farscast. Farzine Masukian here. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode. Sorry, Melanie, Melanie McAllister. Well, if you're watching the video version, you see her. Uh, you see her lovely face. She's here. I'll introduce her in a moment. We just had a funny conversation before we went live. Um, <laughs> she's, funny. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> Uh, I'll uh, see. I, I kind of just she asked me a question and I just ignored it. I'll exp- I'll answer her question while we're doing the podcast. But anyway, um, before I forget, uh, big thanks to everyone who wished me a happy birthday. I, I haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks. Usually, what I like to do is on my birthday just chill and relax, and then the following weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and that's just you know two nice weekends uh, of just yes. relaxation. So, uh, big thanks to everyone who sent me messages. Uh, tweets, whatever. Uh, big thanks to all of you guys who did that. Uh, and yes. then hopefully you guys all had a great Memorial Day weekend. I know I did. It feels nice to to be going out and about. Uh, really nice. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I did not announce this last podcast. I want to go over this real quickly. We have a jam packed uh set of guests for the month of June. I am excited about this. I'm going to go through the list real quickly. And it's not in any particular order. Um, uh, some of the, most I know, of the right? dates I are number pinned four. down. Most of the dates are pinned down. But uh, real quickly, here's the list of guests that we're going to have on. Obviously, you guys have heard uh, Melody McAllister, an author. We'll talk to her in just a moment. Uh, several former Kansas City Chiefs are going to be on the podcast. In fact, tomorrow, former Chiefs cornerback Eric Warfield is going to join me at 8 o'clock Wednesday Central Time. So roughly 24 hours if you're listening to the live Facebook feed. Former Chiefs cornerback Eric Warfield will be joining me on the podcast. Joe Valerio also going to be coming on. Former tight end Jason Dunn also going to be joining me as well. Uh, also a former Kansas City Chief very briefly, but better known for his time on Last Chance U and the head coach of Independence Community College is Jason Brown. Former Chief Scout and KU Scout Dan Shanka will join me from OurLads.com. Big Brother 13 finalist, Adam Pock. Really excited to talk to him. He's going to be joining me. Morgan Ganim. He has a uh, Chiefs jingle that uh, the Chiefs uh, still use, if I'm not mistaken, at Arrowhead Stadium. Morgan Ganim, really, really nice guy. He's going to join me. And then uh, the Friday, the host and founder of Friday Night Cranks, Jared McMullen, will join me later this month as well. So a lot of guests uh, that I'm excited to talk to for the month of June. Some I've had on the podcast, some I've never had on before. So uh, really looking forward to it. But as I mentioned, Melody McAllister, she is the author of this book right here, The I'm Sorry Story. Melody, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little pissed, but I'm all right because I know you haven't read it yet. You've had it for months. You've had it for okay, like a freaking so year. We were supposed to do the podcast 20 minutes ago, but you had a prior engagement yet to do. I actually read the book in the last 20 you did? minutes. Yes. Hey, it's a, it's a nice book. Oh, I like I it. I take back all the mean things I said. Oh, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to. I do take that. back all the mean things I said. You're not a bastard. Oh well, it's all good. You're not a bastard, <laughs> like I said. Thanks a lot. Um, no, I lo- listen. I've never read it. I mean, how many pages? Is oh, tell this, me by your the thoughts. Way? Um, I liked it. I mean, look. Uh, I mean, it's like I'm forty something. I think. Okay, oh, I don't think it was that long. Um, listen, yeah, I liked it. Number. Um, I mean, it's a it's a book. I also in Spanish. Book. Yes, you do have that in Spanish. We talked about that last time you were on the podcast. I do want to get into that a little later. Um, but in terms of my thoughts, hey, look, I thought it was a good book. I, I you know, I think for a target audience, you know, kin- preschool, kindergarten, first, second grade. I mean, I think it's a pretty good book for them. You know, you think it's for preschool? I don't know. Do do preschoolers read? It's not that difficult of a of a read. You don't you don't use you don't yeah. use words. Outside of like the first grade comprehension language skill. What? I don't even know what you just said. And I'm going to pretend like I'm completely confused. Yeah, let's, 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 that's it, okay. It but so I liked it. I, I thought it was a good book. I've read it. It was a good this, excuse to read a book that short for once. Thank you. And all I said is like, just take it to the bathroom next time. Like, don't put it off. Just it's like a quick read for sure. And here's the thing. I think it's like more of a, like an elementary, maybe third. I've read this to middle schoolers and they liked it. So. Oh, okay. And my high school baby, the babysitter that watches our kids is in high school. Um, she liked it. And she's a junior in high school. So I oh. think it's, I think it resonates with people. 
I, you know, I mean, I don't have kids, but if I ever do it, I would definitely keep this for them so they can read it for sure. Um, I, I think if any of you guys do have kids in elementary and, and Melody, you mentioned even middle school. Hey, it's a good book for them. Uh, how can they find this book? Um, I put it I put it like on our live that it's at bit.ly slash I'm sorry story. You can order it off Amazon. You can order it off Barnes and Noble. You can go to edumatchpublishing.com and get it. Um, it's, and it's also listed in different, um, like little bookstores all over. So there's good reads. I think it might be on there. So, um, but I know for sure that you can get it off Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Edgy Match Publishing. So I think yeah. it's funny. You thought I didn't read it when I just read it like five minutes ago. Um, I know I'm so I mean. you, I'm I sorry. Your, I saw your I, text. Farzine. I am sorry for calling you a bastard when I and I and thinking that you hadn't read it yet. Will you please forgive me? I will forgive you. Yes, that that is very nice. Thank of you. you. That is she is that that is part of the book for those who didn't get it. So, um, no, I thought I thought it was great. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I was going to say something. Where can they get it? Oh, uh, yeah. The really that. cool thing on the back of the book is there. Um, there are activities and yes. questions. So I am an educator. I taught for 15 years in public school. And um, so there's lots of activities and you can go to my website, mjmccallywrites.com. It's all good. I'll put it on the comments right here. If anybody's okay. watching this live. Well, talk about you. I, I remember you mentioned this was a story that, I mean, it just published last year, but you've had this story written right. for a very long time. Uh, I don't think you've ever mentioned this. How did you come up with the idea for this exact story? Like what inspired you to come up with something like this? Right. So um, most of my years in elementary were in the fifth grade and then the fourth grade. And so like every time we would come back to class and I wrote this before I had children of my own, I was actually pregnant with my first child. Um, so anyway, that we would come back to class from lunch or we would come back to class from some sort of specials, PE, whatever. And the kids would be fighting and I still had to teach like math and they were mad at each other because for whatever happened, whether they were music class or fight and it would carry over into the class. And then they would be like mortal enemies. And I'm just thinking, well, listen, you got in a fight, but it's okay. So I would spend so much time trying to help these kids like learn how to apologize and make it right with one another. And I just decided, I, you know, I just decided to write it. It just, I'm the kind of, all the words are in my head. And one day I just sat on it and sat on it. And I thought, you know what? I'm about to have a baby. I better write this story because once she comes, I am not going to probably have the time to do it. So um, I just wrote it down one day. I took it back to my kiddos in class the next day and I read it. And I mean, I, I love ed tech, but the, I had it on a PowerPoint at that point. Like I had no pictures or anything. I just put it on the screen. No, it wasn't even a PowerPoint. I take that back. It was just document. It was just a Microsoft document. And I put it on the projector from my computer, because that's how technology, you know, I was not really very into technology at that point. But anyway, and I read it with my students and they loved it. They were like, Mrs. McAllister, how did you know? And I'm like, well, because I remember what it was like to be a kid and I've been with you guys every day. So like, and then we just talked about it. Like we talked about it all year long. That's the thing. We would always go back to it. It's just a better way to help kids understand than lecturing them. Because when you start lecturing kids, you know how it feels. You're just yeah. going to be like, whatever. So it was just a good story. It really resonated with them. It's always resonated with the people of the kids. You know, and I've read this to kids all over the world. So, yeah. You, you've talked to me about this a little bit, but I'll have you discuss it on here. Uh, for someone who might be interested in writing a book one day, uh, talk about the publishing process because I'm always curious about how that works. I know there are multiple ways to do this whether you go through like a big name publisher or you do it through self-publishing. Can you talk about that for those who may not have any idea how that works in terms of the machinations and stuff? Yeah. So I love that you asked me this because I get this all the time. People ask me, um, you know, how I, I have a story. What should I do? Number one, you should be writing it. Like don't wait for a publisher or thing. Just start writing. Um, if you, it, and it kind of depends on the writer that you, are like I work for somebody Alice Keeler she writes like every single day she blogs every day and she has a time in the morning where she writes 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 I have to really be like inspired by something to write I need to get away from people and write and you know during the pandemic that's been really hard yeah. um so 
I just, I want to say, write all that you can blog. You know, there are so many different free websites, wordpress.com. Um, that's my favorite. And I think it's super easy to navigate um, no matter what level of tech you are. So just here, that's what I want to say this because listen, getting your words out to the public is hard because you're going to get criticism. Yeah. You're going to get better. What you need to do is you need to start writing and you need to get feedback from people. And that's one way to do that is blogging. And sometimes if you blog every day, you've written your book over the span of a year. Boom. There you go. You've got your whole book, you know? So I think blogging is the way to go. And then you need to decide, am I going to send this to publishers or am I going to send it, um, like go through the Amazon process and self-publish it, which a lot of people, um, the writers in my community do. Um, so I published with EduMatch Publishing and we are like an educators for educators publishing company. And I work for Dr. Sarah Thomas and I'm the logistics manager. So I do a lot of social media for them. And we're kind of a um, I think we're two or three years into this. So we're not a big publishing company, but you know, we're growing, we have over 70 titles and you know, she, she gives us a lot of like, you can find podcasts that are for self publishing. Yeah. And I think that's the way to go. Like, especially if you have like a big support, like a big audience and you know that you can get your hands quickly into the people. I think self publishing is super smart because you don't have to share the profit that you have um, with a publishing company. If you don't have a big following, then you should probably go ahead and search out the publishing company that you want. Now I'm in education, so EduMatch, I wrote a little bit for another book and I've contributed to several other books at this point. Um, so my end was EduMatch, but you know, if you're not an educator or you have a children's story, oh my goodness, there are so many Facebook groups. I'm in a children's um, group on Facebook and you learn so much. But the one thing that's really important is to write and get feedback on your writing so that you can grow. That was well, a lot of information. No, that absolutely. That's great stuff. I mean, stuff, shit. I, I didn't really know much about that stuff. You, uh, mm -hmm. you just showed the book you have in Spanish. You just got this. I want to say three months ago, uh, sometime. Yeah, it was like February. Okay. So it yeah. happened earlier this year. How did that, how did you yes. get the wheels turning on that uh, project and how did that all come to fruition? All right. I love it. So this lady right here, oh wait, there it goes. Nicole Biscotti. She's also an author and I've had her on my book chat. She and her son wrote this book about how to like to advocate for your child with ADHD. Um, I, I can learn when I'm moving. I learn when I'm moving. It's bitly. I can learn when I move if you want to check her out, but she is also a, um, she speaks Spanish fluently. I, I want to say she's a Spanish teacher, but I could be wrong. And anyway, we're really good friends and I should know this about her. So if she sees this, I feel terrible. Like I should know what kind of teacher she is, but she's also an author with EduMatch. And so we talked about it and um, we just, you know, she translated it for me. It didn't take her very long. And, um, you know, EduMatch took care of us, put it into a Spanish version. What I would like to do is actually make it a, a book where it's both English and Spanish is a bilingual book. You know, I think that would be the super coolest thing ever. And what the font looks really freaky because it's called dyslexia font and it's for, it's a font that helps people with dyslexia be able to kind of see the words better. And that's why I chose that because as an educator, I had so many students with dyslexia, even in the fifth grade that had never been diagnosed. And once they were diagnosed and they got some tools to help them, oh, these kids just took off. And I wanted to be, my whole thing is about being inclusive. So I wanted to make sure it wasn't just full of white kids. And um, I love the illustrators. My friend, Brianna Longoria illustrated it. So I feel like most kids could pick this up and feel like they see themselves in this. So we, we do have some people who are joining a little late. Uh, I was going to actually ask a question that we had already answered for those who are joining a little late. Steve asked a question in the uh, Facebook comments. He says, what age group is your book for? I like that, Steve. Thanks for asking. And I, I, I think it's definitely elementary. I have read this book to kindergartners through eighth graders, and it resonated with all of them. I did try to read this to my first graders when I was teaching first grade before we moved to Alaska. And they were like, uh, it was a little long for them. Um, but I had it wasn't illustrated yet. So the illustrations really help. But I would say that elementary, man, I'll tell you, I've had great discussion with third through eighth graders. Oh, my goodness. If this just this is something that stimulates a lot of conversation because we all have been through this where people say sorry 
and they don't mean it. And kids know that, like, they're not stupid, you know? So this really, really resonates with them. I wanted to ask you about this school year with education because obviously, well, the past, not just this year, school year, uh, it's really been the past, what, 14 months. I still remember I was getting a haircut and this was like right when things started to go pretty damn crazy with the pandemic. Uh, We were kind of just at a loss for words because something like this had never happened. I remember um, the lady who was cutting my hair at the time, she had moved on, uh, but uh, she was talking about how some of the people she knew are mothers um, and they have kids in elementary school and they don't really know what's going on. She has a, f- a very close friend whose daughter is close to finishing up uh, nursing school. And I guess they're trying to recruit her quickly because of the whole situation for obvious reasons. And then I remember one of her um, coworkers walked in and said, they just canceled school for the whole year. And in my head, I'm like, holy shit, like this has never happened before. Um so obviously there has been a lot of adjusting from educators, uh, teachers mostly. Um, and listen, I've seen clips online of kids who are getting on Zoom. It's not just, you know, math or science. I mean, it's even PE where they're having kids put their laptop and they're doing exercises in front of the computer. Um, not really the most ideal way, but they seem to make it work somehow. As an educator, uh, what do you think about how this the school year, the past 14 months have been handled with, uh, with education. Well, first of all, I just want to say to all the educators out there, you are amazing. Like they are amazing people. And, you know, some of the educators decided that this just isn't for them anymore because they've had a, just a hardcore year and a half. And for those people, I just want to say, you got to, you got to feed your soul. So take a rest and do something different. Like there's a lot of teachers that are, um, you know, they are early retiring or they're just leaving because they didn't get the support that they needed, but they are rock stars. They finished out the year. Um, and, and so educators are amazing people. And if we had left all of this up to educators, we probably would have an even better, but sometimes, you know, um, bureaucratic and, and just all that crap, the red tape you have to go through. And then I think to myself, who am I to say anything? Like they know the big picture even more than I do. But I think the educators in this have been amazing. I think the parents who have supported their children and the educators are rock stars. The parents who have decided to homeschool or to keep their kids home and do like a virtual setting, amazing people. Everybody, every school community that has tried hard to get their um, students learning and, and, and keep going during this pandemic are amazing. It has been so hard. I have friends who, you know, we're teaching virtual, it's called hybrid, so that they're teaching like kids face to face, and they're teaching to kids online. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't go back into the classroom this year, because I do have five children. And there was just no way that I was going to be able to do that. Like, I'll, I'll say right now, like, I didn't want to do that. And I didn't have to. And, and that's a privilege that I had to be able to stay at home and do other things to make a living. Um, but so there's teachers that have literally been like, I don't know how they do that. That just seems so ridiculous to me that they would make teachers do that, but that's what they've been doing. And they've been doing it well. They figured out how it works for them. So, and my kids took some zoom classes. We went to outschool.com and they loved it. You know, they, they liked it. So there were some amazing teachers that I got to see my, one of my kids took ballet um, on a zoom class and it was just wonderful. Um, my son was in a reading group cause he loves the Dave Pilkey captain underpants and the dog man books. <laughs> So and I he love created those when like I was a cartoon. Yeah, they have a yes. movie. They have a movie about that now, don't they? Yes, Captain Underpants is so funny. I think yes. I, I'll need to check it out just for uh, just for old times' sake. Yes, and I was Steve says Steve Ree, if you're still watching, he says great. I'm going to order for my grandkids. I just want to say thanks, Steve. You're awesome. There you go. Great grandfather Steve, uh, doing his uh, grandkids a solid. That's awesome. Uh, you know, yes. this is this is a little off topic. I just kind of remembered this because I wanted to talk about this with you. And, and look, I, I, I'm not saying this wasn't necessary during the pandemic. It absolutely was necessary. Um, I remember when uh, when Trump was in the White House, he signed a almost what was, I think it was like a two trillion dollar. Uh, uh, what was it for, for the stimulus? I don't know. I don't know the exact term. Uh, the Corona, it, it was a 1.8 trillion coronavirus stimulus. Um, okay. and I, and I remember at the time I was like, okay, good. This is a good thing, but 
I was also a little pissed off at the time because for the longest time we've always heard, and we're seeing by for, for those who are getting all sensitive, because I mentioned Trump, I mean, Biden's doing this too. So it's both of them because uh, we're seeing Biden spend a lot of money. When I'm hearing a number like 1.8 trillion for this, but in the past, we've always been told, man, we don't have a lot of money for to spend on education. Well, that, that's big, the biggest horse shit ever. OK, like the coronavirus hasn't been around that long. It feels like forever, but really it hasn't. It's been here for what, a little over a year, year and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, we had all this money, but we've always been told we don't have money to spend on education. Do you know where I'm getting? I, I know for sure yes. we've had discussions about this with other people. Yes. I mean, oh my God, you're telling these group of people, teachers, to put their life on the line, you know, and to like, some of them were like, some, some of my friends have been working nonstop since last March. They didn't have a summer break. They've been learning and going to classes and they have just, you know, here's the thing, pay teachers. Why are we not paying teachers? They are essential workers and they are degreed workers. We put in our kids in their hands. I know, am I not going in the direction you wanted? I agree. No. We should have been paying teachers the, what they owed or what we owe them all along. And yeah. we should be like building up the infrastructures of our schools, making them safe, making sure that we're doing equitable practices with all of our students so that every single one of them can achieve, that they have what they need to achieve and to get like resources into our school, like more than just one counselor, like the school that I last worked at, we were sometimes number one largest elementary in a very large district. We had one school counselor and one assistant principal. We needed so much more. And we we need a lot more. I, I was talking to somebody on an airplane. I went to Portland a little over a month ago. And I feel like the lady that I was talking to, she's in high school and she is a, oh, what is it? Um, mental health. Oh gosh, my little sister does this, you know, support, like kind of supports like CPS and I can't think of the, I can't think of what her title is, but like she is in the school helping teachers and students, especially as they go through trauma and um, social worker. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. There are schools I know. Yeah. And I know there are schools in Nevada because I have a friend in Nevada and there are social workers in the schools. Like we should be spending money on amazing people who are going to do good things for our kids and our school communities. And I'm with you. Like, why haven't we been doing this? And now that we're looking, maybe, maybe we're healing a little bit more. Maybe things are getting better. The school next year, let's not stop the good things that we're doing. Let's keep, you know, putting, throwing money in there, you know, um, raising the salaries of teachers, um, getting more support paraprofessionals. They need to be, have a raise as well. And, um, and let's, you know, get more counselors in there. I agree. Like we're crazy if we're not spending money on like the system that is like continuing our futures as a free people. Yeah. I I mean, that that was like one of the first things I thought of. I'm like, so we do have this money. It's not like, you know, it's, it's so hard to come by, but you know, you think of all the, uh, like everything that we are spending uh, on a general basis, especially tax dollars, like for sure it can be, we can put more money into education. So I just had to get that off my chest. Cause I just rem- remember that Glad when we were did. talking about the, the pandemic and everything. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, listen, I don't know about you, uh, or how things are, how are things in Alaska, by the way, with the pandemic? Okay, I, I, I like, well, I, like how, be- I like how you chuckled <laughs> when I asked that. Well, I went bullying with my kids today and I did not wear a mask and nobody was like, you know, and I wore a mask to be a thing. I'm double vaxxed. Um, there wasn't a lot of people there. My friends who are neighbors, we play like we are in our little bubble. Um, things are better. I don't know that our hospitals ever went full capacity, which is a lot different from the rest of the country because, and also Alaska, we don't have like a million hospitals all over the place. We are the largest state in the country but people often fly in to Anchorage to go to hospitals um, or flight to come and go to hospitals here. We never hit capacity. I think our numbers, we definitely went up and they um, are, we just elected a mayor who said he was on record on television. I saw him say this, um, that the pandemic isn't even real. And he was just elected the mayor of Anchorage. Um, all the democratic say, hopes. I think that we're That's doing okay. Okay, I'm being facetious, but no, that's good. I think we're doing good. Yeah, I know. I, but I feel safe here. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's getting a little bit warmer now that the snow melted. So no, I, I, this is a real I'm, tan. I'm I haven't been putting that. a fake tan on. I'm glad to hear that because, uh, uh, this month it really has just been kind of the, you, you're seeing a lot of people come out more, uh, and going out, doing mm-hmm. things, enjoying life. My brother and I went to a Royals game, uh, the weekend of my birthday and oh, I'm so for the, jealous. For the most part, uh, well, I, I'm sure you were not jealous of the rain delay. We had to wait quite a bit, but it, that's all right. Um, we, uh, I mean, for the most part, uh, outside of the employees, not a lot of people had masks. There were a few people who did have masks. And, hey, look, you know, just leave them alone about it. No one was bothering anyone, um, trying to mask shame anyone. And no one was shaming those that were not wearing a mask. So, you know, just everyone's being respectful to one another. Uh, same thing at restaurants. You're starting to see more and more people go out. Some people, or most people, I should say, don't have a mask. A few do. And again, you know, just from from what I've seen, people don't really bother anyone. If someone wants to have a mask, hey, let them have it. No one's uh, making a big deal about it. I remember Dana White, who is sometimes you view it as a controversial figure, sometimes says some crazy things, the president of the UFC, because the UFC has been doing some uh, events lately on pay-per-view. Their last couple of pay-per-views have had full capacity in Dallas and then in, I want to say Jacksonville. So they've been doing events at full capacity lately. And Dana White said, hey, look, if you want to show up without a mask, you can do so. And if you want to wear a mask, you can do so as well. And you do not have to worry about anyone shaming you. No one should be shaming you, uh, mm-hmm. whether you want one or not. And, and I agree with him. Um, it's just, I see we're kind of moving in that direction now. A lot of people are getting vaccinated. Um, even people who, I guess, took sides on this politically are getting vaccinated. So it is kind of nice was, to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're just seeing that shift. It, look, I'm one of those people. I, I was willing to be patient. Some people wanted to go out. I understand, whatever. Um, it's just nice to see normalcy. Like if I had to give a percentage, I think we're like 85, 90% back to normalcy, which is great. Mm, wow. That is awesome. And we're definitely like, we went to the old Navy yesterday and we went in with masks and there were other people with masks. Um, and then I looked over at my husband and he took his off and I was just like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm worried about him more than anybody else in our family. And I just took mine off too. And I just felt so free. And I know, I know that I'll probably be judged by saying this and I'm, um, but you know, I think you're, we're just ready for some normalcy. Yeah. We are putting our life into our own hands if we do this and there are people around, cause we don't really know where all these people are from or what they've been doing. Yeah. So we really are taking a risk still, but you know, I, I think we're, I don't want to judge anybody anymore. I'm just over it. Yeah. Uh, I, I was in Mexico last month and it was just weird you know, having a, a mask the entire time at the airport, at the airport. I mean, there were a couple of points where I just like, you know, took it off for just a quick second and then put it back on. Hey, listen, even the pilot who got on the uh, PA before the flight said, hey, look, there is no debating that these things are pretty damn uncomfortable, but it's federal law. We got to do it to try to get through. And hopefully we're nearing the end of it. So uh, I remember being in Cancun and Cancun was actually, they went from orange to red. So their COVID situation was getting worse while we were there. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little mm-hmm. concerned, like, are they going to have a shutdown pretty soon? Because the employees working there, I mean, they live in the city. They go home, they go out and right. about. So I was a little concerned about that. But uh, thankfully, all, all okay. I did get COVID tested for the first time. That was quite an experience. Oh, Probably the, was that like up your nose? Yes. Uh, I would my, I would rather get hit by a train than do that ever again. Uh that's how painful that was. But um, I, I feel like if you got a pap smear, you might say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, have, <laughs> do you watch Do you watch The Walking Dead or have you ever watched The Walking Dead? No. I okay. You know what it's about, though, right? Zombies. Zombies, yeah. So in the first season, so basically, minor spoiler for those who've never seen The Walking Dead. Uh, basically, you know, families are split up, friends are split up, and they try to find one another in this crazy apocalyptic world. And then at some point they find each other and the group goes to the CDC. This is the end of the first season, if I remember correctly. And they're at the CDC and they have electricity, they have beds, they have water, they have food. And 
during that time, it's like they're living a normal life. And when I was in Mexico, you know, we're we're taking off our masks while we're sitting at the bar or at the restaurant. And I'm just I, I think back to the Walking Dead episode where they're at the CDC, where they're living this normal life that like nothing terrible exists. So that was kind of an interesting experience because um, that was my first time just kind of going out, doing anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, you know, going to a Royals game. Uh, I mean, and the Royals are now at full capacity. I'm a huge Vegas Golden Knights fan. And yes, I'm fully aware they got their ass handed to them on Saturday <laughs> or Sunday, where, whenever it was. Um, that was uh, not fun to watch. I would rather get hit by a train also than watch that game again. But I, in fact, I would rather watch I would rather watch the Chiefs Super Bowl than that game again. Anyway, oh. it was that bad. Oh, my gosh. I would never watch that game again. Yeah, I, I know. I never it. thought I'd say that, but I did. Uh, but um, where was it going with this? Uh, uh, oh, gosh, oh, yeah, Vegas. Name. Vegas. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Vegas at one point, they had a really horrible uh, COVID situation. And now they're going to have 100% capacity for their hockey games. And they have a UFC event next month, which is going to be Conor McGregor. Which So, obviously, that's a big deal. Um, that's also going to be at 100% capacity. So, uh you're starting to see a lot of normalcy, especially in these places where things at one at one point did hit the shit hit the fan. I don't know if you heard about this, but in Kansas City, there were actually a couple of times it made national headlines where hospitals were full and could not take anyone else in. I was kind of concerned right. at one point for my mom because uh, mm-hmm. when she had her uh, urgent situation um, with her uh, dizziness, uh, it was called BPPV, which is basically extreme vertigo. Um they could not take her to the hospital closest to her home because, uh, because they were full with, with, with COVID. Uh, so they had to go to the next nearest hospital, which, you know, wasn't that big of a deal, but it, it, I just kind of thought about that in the moment. It was like kind of concerned, like, Oh shit. You kind of just realized right. um, how bad it was, but we're starting to get better. So thank goodness for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like there's a little relief. I will say that I did not mind cause I flew to Portland um, just to get away for a little bit. And I wore the mask, you know, in the airport and all through Portland. And I didn't feel weird about that. I felt good about wearing it because when you're in an airport, like you are really with people that have been all over the place. And even if you protect yourself, like you just never know what you have. I feel better about like going maskless here. Like I don't mind because I'm generally around the same people, but um, I don't think that I don't think that we should stop wearing masks. I mean, look at the flu. I, I, one of my good friends here, she's a nurse practitioner. And she's like, I haven't seen, I haven't seen flu patients at all this year. And we were all laughing when we started getting the, yeah. um, the colds and I'm, it's mostly allergies. I know my kids have allergies because they don't have fevers. Uh, so, but it's like, it's weird because we have kept these masks on and we've socially distanced and we've like enjoyed better health this last year than we ever have, you know? And I love that because I have five kids. So once, when one starts puking, I have like two or three weeks of puking nonstop. So what is it like being a a parent of five kids? It's probably a loaded (laughs) question. Okay. So like Memorial day weekend, you know, you've got, you've got this nice three day weekend. Like you, you probably have all five kids each wanting to do something different than the other. Uh, Well, you know, they definitely do. We have our norms. Now, I think having more kids is easier than having less kids. And like my oldest is 12 and a half. She can help me with the baby who's three. They're actually nine years exactly apart. They share a birthday. And so, and now my son, and we still haven't potty trained that boy and we should, we're just being lazy. So I will tell how is it different? We used to be like on the ball with the other kids and now we're just like super lazy, but it's, it's been kind of cool through the pandemic, you know, they would be like, Oh my gosh, I want to see friends and everything when, when we weren't going anywhere. And I'm like, y'all are so lucky that you have built in friends. Do you know how many kids yeah. out there? They don't have brothers and sisters. Yep. They're just by themselves. You know, like you guys are so lucky. Yes, they fight, but I'm starting to see also where they protect each other. Cause now that we are spending more time with neighborhood friends and you know, the feelings get hurt, things like that. I watched my son. I'm so proud of him. He just, is always making sure that his sisters are okay. And um, he'll stop playing with his friends to make sure that his little sister is not feeling left out. And so, and then I worry though, you know, we've homeschooled for the last two and a half years since we moved here to Alaska. I worry a lot of times about like, 
are they losing their social, you know, their drive to be social? And that worries me. And I'm like, now that the pandemic is starting to not, I don't fear it so much. I want to get them back involved in things because they really need to be around kids a lot. And this last year, you know, we used, before the pandemic, we were always doing things. We'd go to the museum and we would do things during the day. And then we stopped doing that. So kids really do need to be social. Um, and, and that part is coming back, but I would have to say that, gosh, it doesn't feel that hard anymore. As a parent of five, what worries me is that I'm not doing enough for them all the time. I have to really think about the guilt that I have. Like, am I making sure that they each, you know, do my daughters feel like they're beautiful? Are they getting that, that constant love from me where I'm supporting them so that they don't grow up and like hate themselves? Because I had to overcome a lot of that, you know, where like I'm 40 years old and I finally feel like I'm worth something. It took me this long. I don't want my girls to grow up and feel like that. So I think it's hard emotionally thinking about all the needs that they have. And as my oldest gets older, poor thing, she's the first one. So here I am making so many mistakes with her. Um, I'm like, God, I just need to put them all into therapy. <laughs> like we all just need to go to therapy. Um, it's, they're really good kids. You know, they, they generally, yeah, they don't like to do everything that same ones they, they still like going to the park they love riding their bikes yeah when we go places you know they're just i guess my husband and i are super blessed to have amazing kids and um That's we're good. learning we make a lot of mistakes yeah but i don't know if i answer that question well it's hard no, but the no hard, that was great the part of it the emotional the emotional part is the hardest thing really because all, all four of my kids can dress themselves they don't pee the bed it's wonderful like they're big they can make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then they help me when I'm working because I work a lot throughout the day they help with the youngest um so we, we've become a system now if they could just start doing their chores regularly without me having to cuss at them I would just be <laughs> well no I love that story I mean, about your your son just you know looking after his sister that's what a brother's yeah. supposed to do yeah he is such a good and he and he's the best brother for his little brother oh my gosh you would love that Farzine he like I just, sometimes it chokes me up because I'm just, I didn't see this stuff growing up. You know, yeah. I didn't see it. Like we were always fighting and we were just we're tearing each other apart and shoot, we're adults doing that. I mean, I, I, I love my kids. They're amazing. And I probably am screwing up left and right, but hopefully they'll have what they need to like heal and be good adults. Uh, remind me, how long <sighs> have you lived in Alaska for? So we just hit two years in March, middle of March. So a little over two years. Okay. I've got to ask this because I've only met, I think one person from Alaska in college who I met. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know anyone else uh, in Alaska other than you. Uh, So Mm -hmm. what is Alaska like in the summertime? Because I remember (laughs) of all things, I was watching cops and it was in Alaska and it was at 3 a.m. And you can see the damn sun at at 3 a.m. during the summertime. I mean, is it weird? Is it like describe that? It is weird. It is really weird. And you it's hard to explain. You have to experience. So I think we still get like four hours of like dusk. So it never gets really dark here um, in the summertime. I think this, let me, I can look at my app. Um, I, I'm pretty sure today the sun rose at 436 because I woke up Good and started Lord. working. Yeah, I, I had to start. I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back to sleep. Yeah, the sun the sunrise this morning was 4:30 a.m. and the sunset tonight is at 11:20. So what is that? Five hours what? almost. Uh, <laughs> and and at the middle of June or no, like the the solstice, the summer solstice will have the shortest day of the year, and we'll have probably like four hours of dusk. But then you go further north, and um, some places in Alaska get absolutely no night at all. You know, the closer to the North Pole the less sun that you get. And it really is crazy. So my husband, I was working one night, it was like nine o'clock because I do a lot of work. I I work different. I I do, I have my own business. So I just like whatever works for me. So around nine o'clock, I start doing some stuff. And he was outside doing marshmallows and s'mores with the kids around the fire. And then he put his earbuds in and it's still, the sun is out. It's nine, but it's still perfectly like, it's not, it doesn't even look like evening yet. And so 
the girls had gone to our neighbors, one of my good friends' house. It was 9.30. They were knocking on the door to see if the, their little friend could play. I get a text message like, do you know that your kids are at my house right now? My kids are in bed. And it was school was still going on. And I'm inside working. So Mac, my husband, he was just like listening to music by the fire and totally forgot about everything. And, uh, but yeah, but it, and when we first moved here, um, we had some more homeschoolers that were in our neighborhood and I remember them knocking on our door at like 10 30 to see if the kids could come out and play and I'm like no they're already in bed but it isn't you know it's and one day we went to Seward we just at three o'clock in the afternoon it was like a it's like at least a two-hour trip it could be longer um and we went there we spent a few hours we got home at midnight and the sun was not even down yet it was crazy do you know anyone that's lived in Alaska their entire life and then move to Kansas, let's just say, for instance, and they finally experience nighttime for like a long Like that has to be weird for them, too. I, I have talked to several people who grew up in Alaska, left Alaska and then moved back to Alaska. Like I'm like, what? That's crazy. And the thing is, Farzine, in the wintertime, we get like four hours of sunlight. So it flip flops. And then we're like almost in darkness for most of the day. It's crazy. It is crazy. And it plays with your head. It, it Fs with your head. There's a lot of people that come here and they don't leave. Like they, they, they come here married, but they don't leave married. Like that kind of stuff plays with your head. What's the warmest <laughs> day you can recall in Alaska in the two years you've lived there? Yeah. So uh, and it's funny, we were talking about this weekend. I thought it hit a hundred. So two years ago we had, we broke highs, but it, it turns out it was in the nineties. And I think that we did get the, like the late nineties, but it felt like a hundred to me. Um, and so set records, there were fires burning all over our state. I remember flying in from Philly because I had a conference coming home from Philly. And I remember seeing um, all the fires in the forest um, riding over them. And it was a really, really hot summer. And we, ha- we had never experienced summer without an AC. Most houses here do not have ACs. And so I remember getting into the car and I asked my husband, because we had left, you know, we, we didn't bring fans with us. That was not what we brought with us here. I was like, please tell me that you bought some fans. And he's like, uh, no. And of course, by that time, they were all sold out. Yeah. Um, and so I had to order fans off amazon.com. And we, so we spent one week super hot, like in our, you know, it was just so hot. It was ridiculous. We had the windows open, um, but it was just really hot. Oh, but right now it's like 60 something, 50 something. It's June and it doesn't feel like it at all. Anyone who knows you, uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast and has listened to you before, they all know you're a Chiefs fan. Uh, Yes. So the thing is you're in Alaska. and, And honestly, I've never given this thought until you and I have started interacting with each other. So if a Chiefs game comes on at 12, it is nine o'clock your time. And yeah. you know, look, yeah. I was in Vegas a couple of years ago for the Chiefs and Chargers game. It was the one where McCole Hardman had the kick return touchdown. And I remember it was 10 o'clock for whatever reason, like 99% of the time I'm in Vegas, the Chiefs always have like the late afternoon game. So 325 central time, mm-hmm. but 125 Vegas time. And so waking up and getting ready to watch chiefs game in like two hours was one of the weirdest things I've ever experienced. Do you, first of all, I know in Alaska, you don't, unless you have Sunday ticket, your options are limited when it comes to what games are available on TV, but the chiefs have been on CBS for a lot of uh, the country more so lately because they're so good. They're a top tier team, but are you like, what do you, are you eating breakfast while watching the chiefs? Like, well, what, how does that work? No, it seemed like most of the games that I watched on television for the Chiefs were always around 11 a.m. They weren't super early. I mean, okay. earlier than what you and earlier than what I'm used to, for sure. But it didn't. It, it seemed like they were between 11 and one. And so I was able to catch most of them, except for the and then there were some, you know, what is it, Monday night or Thursday night when they play? It was just a little bit later. That Those are like maybe three o'clock games, I think. Definitely earlier in the day. Monday night football at three o'clock. That's the weirdest thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's hard because, so for Mother's Day, my husband got me the MLB package for, so I could watch the Royals play. And I cannot remember, 
like it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm sitting here working and I forget, oh my God, turn on the television or turn on your computer because I do like the airplay so I can watch it on the television. Um, and I'm just like, but I keep forgetting that I can watch them play. So I, you know, yeah, cause it's, it's different. It's a different time. And I'm like, I'm, my friends are eating dinner and I'm eating lunch, you know? So it does suck. And I think about time zones all day long because most of the people that I work with are either central or Eastern time. So yeah, I think about. I remember, uh, I dated someone who traveled a lot for work and I was mm-hmm. in Vegas and she was somewhere on the East coast. I want to say Philadelphia, but I'm not sure, but she sent me like this good morning text while I'm still Ooh, sleeping. Ooh, Farzee. What yeah, ever happened to her? Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's sure. The one that got away. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, I- I'm still sleeping, and here's this girl texting me at freaking <laughs> five a.m., four a.m., whatever. I don't remember. It's like, listen, you've been to Vegas before, okay? You don't go to sleep at 9 or 10 o'clock. You go to sleep at 1 o'clock in Vegas, okay? You enjoy the hell out of everything in Vegas. So to get a text at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. is like the most annoying thing ever. So um, It is. Yes. Uh, not fun at all. all but anyway, um, real quickly, before you go. So obviously, we talked about your book. Uh, this is the last thing I wanted to ask you. Do you have ideas for other? I mean, you don't have to say them because obviously, you know, you never know. Someone else hears the idea. Oh, they'll take it. You, you never know with these people sometimes. But do you have ideas for uh, for other books uh, that you want to write, write in the future? Yeah, I just wrote my second book and I've already had it um, read by several of my friends who are also authors. And it's called Booger Eater. And it is freaking hysterical. If you can get past the gag, a lot of my adult friends are like, uh, like at first it was hard because I really get into the particulars of eating your boogers and, um, Alrighty. <laughs> right. But it is funny. And I read it to my kids. I read it to my kids the night I wrote it and they're like, wait a minute, you just wrote this like tonight. Cause I went into my room for like three hours and I just started writing. And, um, before they went to bed, I read it to them and they laughed so hard. Um, and my friends, I sent it to them and they're just like, this is disgusting, but also this is a good story. And so what I, I don't know if I want to write it and make it a chapter book or shorten it a little bit for a children's book or do both. I did get to read it to my friend who teaches seventh or eighth grade a couple weeks ago, and they really liked it. So I'm excited about what's coming next. And um, if I go chapter book, I don't know that I have to have a lot of illustrations, but if I go children's book, I need to have an illustrator. So but I'm excited about it. And I thought, I thought my next story would be like another, I'm sorry story, but this hit me when inspiration hits, I write. Awesome. And that's what I did. Well, we'll, we'll have to uh, wait watching, on that when it, when it comes out. Yeah. Watching my kid eat their booger. was just like, so inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I there, there needs to be like uh, a section in the book where like you talk about like what inspired yeah. you to, to write this. Cause I think that would, sending a lot of people like like here's the thing if you're a parent and you see your kid reading that you're you're gonna you're gonna kind of question the hell out of that aren't you yeah but i mean come on you you saw how many of your classmates eat their boogers i have seen so many students eat their boogers and so one of my kids was um getting made fun of by another one of my kids for doing that when we were going through taco bell and i'm just like i felt bad for my kid that like picked her nose and um I'm just thinking, I don't want her to grow up thinking she's deficient because she's doing something that everybody else is doing, right? There's so many kids. I have so many students that have picked their nose and eat it right in front of me. No shame, no shame at all. And um, and so we started talking about this. My husband and I did. Some kids can't live it down, you know? They're just the booger eater forever. And so we had a lot of conversation about that. And then I went home and wrote the book. And, you know, if somebody copies this, then hopefully they make a better book than me. Mine's already written, so... <laughs> And it's really good. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, hey, Melody, uh, last thing real quickly. Uh, how can uh, people connect with you on social media? Yes, I love that. Thank you, Farzine. They can, um, so I am at MJ McKelly Writes. I'm going to put it in the comments. On Twitter, I am at MJ McKelly Writes. And if you look up Facebook, I am facebook.com MJ McKelly slash MJ McKelly Writes. And um, that's basically my handle on everything. I'm pretty consistent on Instagram, MJ McCallie writes, and that's two L's, MC, wait, MJ, okay, MJMC 
A-L-L-I-W-R-I-T-E-S writes. If you are a teacher and you're listening or you want to read aloud, I do a lot of read alouds um, with my I'm sorry story. So and bit.ly slash I'm sorry story for the English version 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 <laughs> bit.ly slash I'm sorry story Spanish for the Spanish version. And um, yeah, and I do a book chat every if you follow me on my socials, you'll see I, I interview authors every Wednesday. We talk about all this wonderful stuff. So, yeah. All right. Arzine, thanks for having me on here. I love yeah. talking with you. It's so much fun. No, I really enjoy having you on the podcast. Thanks for always making time for the podcast. I know you're busy and you, you got, you've got five kids. You're doing 10 things at once. So definitely appreciate you making time uh, for the podcast. And still looking always. good, Farzine. And still yeah. looking good is all I got to say. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's enough. I'm going to mute your mic here on Zoom right now. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, seriously, uh, thank you for coming on. We'll have to do this again. Uh, you heard her uh, social media, where to get the book. Go check it out. Uh, get it for your kid, niece, nephew, grandkid, whoever. Uh, the I'm Sorry story available in English. Yes, English and in Spanish. There it is right there for those of you who can see the video version of the podcast. Uh, all right, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up in uh, exactly 22 hours and 50 minutes, uh, less than 24 hours. Eric Warfield, former Kansas City Chiefs cornerback, he is going to join me on the podcast. We will stream that live right here on my Facebook page. If you missed the live version of it, don't worry. The podcast version will be out about an hour or two after uh, the uh, podcast concludes. So Eric Warfield will be on, I believe. We haven't confirmed it yet, but Jason Dunn should be coming on within the next week as well. And then we've got a couple of more guests that'll be on. If you want to see the full guest lineup for this month, go to my Facebook page or my Twitter page. I have it pinned to the top of both my pages. So you can see all the uh, guest lists on the entire guest list, I should say on there and uh, no dates yet for all of them, but they're all confirmed for the month of June. So I'm very excited for the podcast this month. And uh, then I'll probably take a little bit of a break in July since I'll be uh, in Vegas for the first week. But Appreciate you guys joining me. Big thanks to Melody McAllister for joining me here on the podcast. Check out her work. Until then, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Eric Warfield will be on the podcast. Talk to you then.